Hello, everyone. I'm Cheryl Musial, and welcome to My Care Advisors. In this episode, Navigating the Alzheimer's Diagnosis, we are joined by Kinsey McManus. She's a programs director for the Alzheimer's Association's Desert Southwest Chapter. Well, welcome, Kinsey. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm so happy to be here. You know, Kinsey, for so many receiving the diagnosis of Alzheimer's, it's never easy. And it's a life-changing event that may lead to a range of emotions and questions. Understanding the disease, where to find resources, and what the first steps may be to navigate these challenges ahead. So, Kinsey, let's start by just sharing what exactly is Alzheimer's disease. Thank you. So Alzheimer's disease is a type of dementia, and maybe I'll just start with kicking off and and, uh, taking down one of the first myths about Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, Very often people use those terms interchangeably, but they're not. So dementia is this umbrella term that uh, includes, it's like a category of diseases, and Alzheimer's is one of them. Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia. It's about 60 to 80% of cases. But there are other types of dementia, including vascular dementia, which has more to do with strokes and brain bleeds, um, or Lewy body dementia, where we'll see more things along uh, hallucinations and delusions, including some memory concerns. Parkinson's is another type of dementia. So we're really talking about this, you know, large category of brain diseases um, that trigger a decline in thinking skills. We also use the term cognitive abilities that are severe enough to impair daily life and independent function, but they do also affect behavior, feelings, body movements, visual processing, and of course, relationships. Yeah. So Kinsey, that's, that's really interesting to know. It's part of this whole big uh, area of brain issues that are happening. What are some of those signs and symptoms specifically of Alzheimer's? Sure. So first and foremost, Alzheimer's is not a normal part of aging. Age is the most common risk factor, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But it's a progressive disease where dementia symptoms slowly worsen over a number of years. And in its early stages, memory loss is mild. Um, But as we transition into the late stage, a person will lose their ability to carry on a conversation and respond to their environment. So on average, a person with Alzheimer's does live four to eight years after the diagnosis, but they can live as long as 20 years. Just Mm. depends on a number of factors. There are currently over 6 million Americans living with Alzheimer's disease, and that is expected to continue to grow exponentially in the coming years. So what does it look like? The most common early symptom of Alzheimer's is difficulty remembering newly learned information. So not where did I go to high school, but ooh, I just learned this new recipe and I don't remember how to follow the steps. Um, Or I just met someone new and I don't remember their name. And this is different from your normal functioning, right? So if you're someone like me who has a hard time remembering people's names when you first meet them, you know, this is a newly acquired difficulty with remembering new information. 
And of course, because age is the number one risk factor, people who are over 65 have much higher risk of developing Alzheimer's. We also have to keep in mind that just like our bodies, our brains do change as we age. So it's expected we're going to see some slow thinking and occasional problems with remembering things. But when we're talking about Alzheimer's, it's more serious memory loss, confusion, and other changes. So there are some things that we really want you to look out for. Uh, first is, you know, memory loss that disrupts daily life. So that's another hallmark of this. This isn't, I forget a name here and there. It's the memory challenges that are making my life difficult to live. Um, you can also notice changes in being able to plan or solve problems. We often see this with managing personal finances. So being able to balance your checkbook. And again, it's looking at what is the person typically able to do versus what changes we're seeing. Um, it can include completing uh, difficulty with completing familiar tasks like cleaning, getting confused in the process of doing dishes, right? So maybe I forget to use the soap when I'm washing dishes and it's not like, oops, I forgot the soap, right? We all, we have our moments, right? Again, um, it's, I did all of the dishes and never use soap. Um, confusion with time and place. Uh, and this is, you know, not just what day, but it can even be things like, I don't remember what season we're in. Trouble understanding visual images and spatial relationships. You know, thinking about this disease, it impacts the brain. It will eventually impact all parts of the brain. And spatial relationships, it can be things like difficulty reading, tracking the words on a page, new problems with words in speaking or writing, misplacing things and losing the ability to retrace steps. So that's that piece that's different from normal aging, not being able to think back of, well, where did I put my keys, right? Let me, let me walk through my day. And it can be strange things like forgetting where the keys go. So maybe you have a dish by the door, but instead the person or you put it in the freezer, right? So it's not something that makes kind of cognitive sense to the rest of us where we might put something. Poor judgment. So, you know, as people age, we all become more, uh, you know, likely to be taken advantage of by different swindlers, if you will, um, but becoming increasingly vulnerable to scams and, and the like. What families will probably see, and this is the piece that's also really important, Families, friends, coworkers tend to be the people who notice the early signs often before the person with Alzheimer's recognizes it. So we also want to look for things like withdrawing from social activities or withdrawing from work um, and changes in mood or personality. So someone who may have been very outgoing and gregarious becomes more shy and withdrawn, I will say it can happen in the other direction. Someone who was very shy suddenly becomes much more outgoing. Um, they lose some of that, you know, maybe that intense social inhibition and become much more outgoing. But typically we do see the reverse, the more withdrawing. All of these signs taken together, uh, first off, every person with Alzheimer's looks different. So no one person with Alzheimer's is probably gonna have all of these warning signs. They'll have a handful of them. 
What complicates things is that all of these warning signs can be indicators of other things. If it's a thyroid condition, developing depression, uh, vitamin issues, medications are not balanced or there's a contraindication with two medications happening together. So it is critically important if you're seeing the signs first step is to go to the doctor. There's a lot of testing that needs to be done to rule in or rule out Alzheimer's. And it's really important that you start your journey there. Having a documented list of the things you're seeing so the doctor has as many tools and information as they can to do the right tests. Uh, but certainly these could also be indicators of life-threatening acute conditions. And so if you're seeing any of these symptoms, please go to a doctor. Yeah, well, Kinsey, that's uh, very, very um, important and just amazing, the number of warning signs. And as you mentioned, it's it's the first step is to start with your doctor to get that diagnosis and rule in or rule out other diseases or interactions. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I was, I was wondering, are there treatment options? And if so, what are the, what are they for Alzheimer's disease? I would love to say today that we have a cure, uh, and certainly that is the goal. Um, you know, I work for the Alzheimer's Association. Our vision is a world without Alzheimer's. Uh, currently, however, there isn't a cure. So there is one very new treatment. It's called aducanumab, and it is the first therapy of its kind that deals with the underlying, what we think are the underlying biological causes of Alzheimer's disease. And what it does is it removes amyloid, which is a hallmark of the disease from, it removes it from the brain. And we believe that amyloid is uh, likely to reduce cognitive and functional decline uh, for people who have increased amyloid in the brain. Now, it is not uncommon to have amyloid in the brain. It's just that this microscopic protein fragment, it forms in the brain, and then what it does is it accumulates into plaques. And these plaques disrupt the communication between nerve cells in the brain and may also activate immune system cells that trigger inflammation, which devours uh, nerve cells. So while scientists aren't entirely sure what causes uh, cell death and tissue loss during the course of Alzheimer's, we do think these amyloid plaques are one of the potential contributors, and that's specifically what aducanumab is focused on targeting. So as the first therapy of its kind, it's demonstrating not only the removing of amyloid, but we've also seen in studies a likely to reduce cognitive and functional decline in people with early Alzheimer's. This is a conversation you should be having with your doctor. As with every medication, it comes with risks. Uh, so this is certainly a conversation that needs to happen with a physician. There's a process of determining whether or not it's appropriate. You do need to be in the very early stages of Alzheimer's to even qualify for this potential treatment. Um, so definitely, if this is something you're considering, start that conversation with your doctor. Most of our other medications for Alzheimer's disease are either going to treat 
temporary uh, delays in, in memory problems or thinking or cognitive processing. And then there's a whole host of medications that deal with some of the non-cognitive symptoms of Alzheimer's and, and other types of dementias. So some of the ones that deal specifically with our thinking and memory are um, Aricept, Exelon, uh, Namenda, Namzeric. I am not a doctor. <laughs> so again, you know, if you're thinking about considering any type of pharmacological treatment, this is a conversation you really need to have with your doctor. The other piece is that because there are some behavioral changes that occur, there are some different types of psychiatric medications that may be worth pursuing. Antidepressants is one area to consider, um, but it depending on the types of symptoms a person is experiencing, there could also be antipsychotics involved. Again, you know, first and foremost, when it comes to behavioral changes, you know, non-medical interventions are ideal place to start. But certainly, again, there are other options of medications that may help improve quality of life for the person living with the disease. So it's certainly, you know, an important conversation to have with your primary care physician. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, Kinsey. And I, I really um, appreciate the just the overview of all those treatment and potential treatment options. And as you said, it's always a place to start is with your physician. And you mentioned earlier also about caregivers. So let's kind of shift our discussion to, to the caregiver's role. And how does it change and how have you seen a change, especially as it progresses? Yes, uh, and I really appreciate you bringing this up because our caregivers are often not thought of in the, you know, particularly when you're looking at the, the medical side of this disease. Uh, but there are over 11 million family and friends in the United States providing care for people with Alzheimer's, just Alzheimer's, not all types of dementia, just Alzheimer's. So this is a very large part of our community who is dealing with a very significant disease. So I'm gonna start and talk a little bit about how it evolves to say that at the association and, and generally there's some schools of thought about how many stages of Alzheimer's there are, none of those ideas are wrong. So I'll start with that. At the association, we've just found it a little more, you know, easy to wrap your brain around to simplify it to three stages. These are not hard and fast rules. Uh, I know there are many other theories of thought from five to nine stages of Alzheimer's. Don't get hung up on what stage you're in. That's not important. It's just looking at what are the symptoms you're seeing and how do we respond to those? So we like to think of it as early, middle, and late stage. So early is that mild stage of the disease. The reality is in the early stage of Alzheimer's, a person may function fairly independently. Uh, they can still drive, go to work, be a part of social activities. You know, despite this, they may feel um, as though they're having memory lapses, like forgetting familiar words and locations of everyday objects. But the symptoms may also not be wide, you know, widely apparent at this stage. Family and close friends, again, are probably going to notice this. Um, and a doctor would be able to identify the symptoms in certain, uh, through certain diagnostic tools. But you know, you're, you're commonly seeing things like 
struggling to come up with the right word or name, remembering names of people who newly introduced to you, difficulty performing tasks in social settings or work settings. So there may need to be a very candid conversation with human resources about reasonable accommodations to remain successful in employment, uh, forgetting material that you just read, losing or misplacing objects, um, experiencing increased trouble with planning and organizing. So from a caregiving perspective at that point, there isn't a high touch here. It might be really simple memory aids. Like maybe we, you know, didn't usually keep a large calendar of our events, but because it's new information, having a very large calendar up that kind of has all of the tasks that are going to be happening, upcoming events. So the person has something to refer to, right? And I think that's the piece of as many memory aids as you can think of, maybe putting up little signs that say keys, and then the dish is right under there for where the keys go. So, you know, thinking about different little adaptations of cues to help the person, you know, still continue to function as independently as possible. And I think that's the other piece of this, which is both for the person who's going to be the primary caregiver and the person with dementia. I think dignity is a huge part of this and independence is a part of dignity. So really thinking creatively about how do we continue to support this person and doing as much as they can independently for as long as possible. Once we start moving though into the middle or moderate stage of the disease, this is where we have a bit of a paradigm shift in the level of support and care that this person may need. The middle stage of Alzheimer's is typically the longest stage uh, and it can last for many years. This is unfortunately the stage currently where most people are getting diagnosed. So this is, you know, one of those pieces for us uh, at the association and, and more generally in the field, early detection and early diagnosis are so critically important because once you're in the middle stage of the disease, you're all playing a big game of catch up. Uh, and so there isn't as much planning that could have been in place in advance for how to support this person as the disease continues to progress, that you're not as informed in what to expect, and you're playing kind of that game of catch up. So once we get into the middle stage, the symptoms are more pronounced. They may confuse words. You might get frustrated or angry act in unexpected ways like refusing to bathe. Um, the damage to nerve cells in the brain can also make it difficult for the person to express their thoughts and perform routine tasks without assistance. So the symptoms certainly vary person to person, but it includes things like being forgetful about events and personal history. So now we're starting to shift from new information to historic information. So this is an important shift in memory changes. This means that a person may be more likely to forget their address, these core elements of who they are, things they've long held. Remembering how to get to the grocery store you've been going to for 30 years. Um, naturally, as a part of this, a person is going to become increasingly frustrated and it's hard sometimes to parse out our changes in mood and social withdrawal directly resulting from the changes in the brain 
or the reality that engaging in social life and day-to-day activities becomes incredibly frustrating for the person. Um, Experiencing confusion around where they are and what day it is. So I lost my grandmother to Alzheimer's and um, we took her to the doctor one day and just sitting there in the waiting room, she startled and started looking around and was like, where, how did we get here? Where are we? And how did I get here? Right. So she just didn't, didn't remember driving to the doctor's office that she had a doctor's appointment and then how she, you know, got there and was in that moment and then was very disoriented, confused, and upset, which any of us would be right. And so that's the piece that I just want to, you know, remind everyone who is interacting with someone who has Alzheimer's and dementia, you know, imagine not even remembering how you got to a place that is incredibly unsettling and confusing and upsetting. Um, So, They may also, because not remembering what season it is, may pick the wrong clothes to wear. Like it's in the dead of summer. I'm here in Phoenix, Arizona. You know, someone puts on a sweater in July. There's some confusion going on. There's, you know, this is not a sweater season for us. So um, they may also start to have some other changes in the body. Again, this is a progressive disease. It spreads. So it's not just housed in memory any longer. And so they may start to lose control over their bladder and bowels. This means caregivers may need to become increasingly helpful in things that we call activities of daily living, ADLs. So helping the person bathe. We may need to consider adult diapers at that point, helping them toilet, going to the bathroom. There is a real increase in the demands on the caregiver at this time when we move into this middle stage. We also see changes in sleeping patterns. So sleeping during the day and becoming restless at night. Very frighteningly, uh, there is an increased tendency to wander and become lost. So six uh, in 10 people with Alzheimer's will have an incident of wandering. Again, if you don't remember your address and you leave the house to go for a walk, uh, one of the things we talk about Alzheimer's is the familiar becoming unfamiliar. Your neighborhood does not look like your neighborhood anymore. Um, Not to say that that's permanent. This is one of the tricks of this disease that one day you can have a good day and go for a walk on your own and have no problem. And the next day, forget your address or what your house looks like. So this is where some of those really difficult conversations need to start happening for families. Is it appropriate for this person to continue driving? Should they be going on walks without a person with them? Are they able to do certain things safely? This is also the time that caregivers are starting to assume more and more responsibility. This is not a fast disease by and large. So it's something that caregivers are slowly adding things to their job description, right? Their quote unquote job description. And they may not notice this slow increase in responsibility until they hit a wall and they become so burnt out 
by all of the things that they're now doing. This does become a 24 seven disease to deal with for caregivers. If someone is wandering and they're sleeping during the day, the wandering incidents may happen in the evenings when the caregiver may need their rest. So this is not like babies where you sleep when they sleep. That's not the reality. You know, we're talking about adults. This can be adult children. So maybe one in, one in three caregivers are daughters. So this may be a sandwich generation situation where the daughter is working full-time, raising their kids, caring for their adult parent who's with, living with Alzheimer's. They cannot stay up all night worried that wandering may happen. There are many things and tools that can help caregivers, like masking the visual uh, concept of the door to the wall. But again, you know, this is these are the pieces where there's some creative problem solving. It is certainly uh, way past time to be getting some additional supports, recommendations, and ideas of how to manage this. And the reality is that as the care intensifies, caregivers may need to consider things like respite care, adult day centers, really important for caregivers to get a break. Who is in your informal social network that you can call on? Maybe a neighbor can go grocery shopping because it's too difficult at a certain point to go to the grocery store with the loved one and make sure you're, you're keeping an eye on them while you're taking care of the groceries, really thinking about what are your needs as a family and who can help with what, because one person cannot shoulder this responsibility. It really, they are going to need help. Once we get to the late stage, this is where care is 24 seven. There is no way around this. They're starting to lose their ability to respond to their environment, to carry on conversation, to communicate needs, um, and eventually to control movement. So again, this disease is going to spread to all parts of the brain at some point. So it's not just losing ability to say phrases and it's words. I mean, we're getting to almost losing complete ability to communicate uh, verbally. And memory and cognitive skills continue to worsen. Their ability to walk may dramatically decrease steadiness um, on their feet. Just the physical movements can become more challenging. Uh, so we really, at this point, it's talking about 24-7 care. A person with Alzheimer's um, at this stage is not going to initiate engagement with others, but they can still benefit from interactions in ways that are appropriate, like listening to music, receiving reassurance through gentle touch. During this stage, caregivers may want to use supportive services like hospice care. Hospice is not just end of life. Um, because Alzheimer's is a chronic condition, you can engage in hospice care much earlier than most people think. It's a common misnomer. Um, you know, hospice care is really about focusing on providing comfort and dignity at the end of life and can greatly benefit people in the final stages of Alzheimer's and other dementias and their families. Families may want to consider in-home care 
um, having a professional caregiver come into the home to support. There's just a lot of resources that exist in the greater world that families can take advantage of. So we really want to make sure, again, early diagnosis means early planning, early preparations for what to expect. The other part of it, as the disease progresses, the person living with the disease becomes less and less able to express what they want for their care. So having those difficult conversations early when the diagnosis first happens is critically important. So we make sure that that person is experiencing dignity and care. Oh, Kinsey, this is such um, important information. And thank you for sharing this because it truly sounds like it it's more of a marathon than a sprint on, you know, when you're dealing with Alzheimer's and um, somebody with that you love with Alzheimer's diagnosis. And so in thinking of that, as we think about the the stages and supporting each other and caregivers, um, what are some you know tips and other resources for families and caregivers as they navigate um, this Alzheimer's diagnosis and, and, you know, as you mentioned, is, is continuing to care for themselves and many times in that sandwich generation. Yes. And I think the first thing I will say is that you're not alone. You know, we're talking about 17 million Americans dealing with this disease directly as families. And that doesn't include the networks of professionals that work in this field to support our families. It feels very isolating and lonely when you are dealing with this disease, but that is not the case. There are some other things that you want to think about um, as you're getting the diagnosis. One is which you're going to need a specialist doctor, whether it's a gerontologist or a neurologist. Your primary care physician can only take you so far, and often your primary care physician may not feel confident uh, with their own diagnostic tools to make the formal firm diagnosis. Do not accept when a provider says they have dementia. Your first question should be, well, what kind? Just like if a doctor said you have cancer. Okay, devastating, but what kind of cancer, right? We really need to get in that mind frame of pushing further, pushing deeper, because as I mentioned, you know, unfortunately, all types of dementia, they're going to spread throughout the whole brain. So they look fairly similar towards the end, but there's very different presenting early symptoms. And that's where families really need the help to think about and plan what to do. And planning is key. It's thinking about what do you have in place legally and financially? Not something we all want to talk about. Do you have a will in place? Who is your medical and legal power of attorney? That becomes really important and that needs to be established before the person is deemed medically to be unable to make their own decisions. So these are things that have to be addressed early. The reality is the medical costs are significant. Planning financially for this disease is critical, and you can only start to do it as early as you know that what you're dealing with. There's the full medical community, so primary care, neurologist, gerontologist. 
You may also need to consider a psychiatrist at some point with behavioral. Do you have a counselor, a social worker, someone that not only the person living with the disease can can talk to about what that is like to deal with the uh, acceptance of having this disease, but also for our families? This is a devastating diagnosis. It can be for many families and caregivers and family members also need that emotional support. Thinking about who is in your family and friend network is just as important as who is in your professional caregiver network because you're going to need help. End of story. So what can family and friends do to help? Now, they can't guess at what that's going to be. So it's important to also think about what are you comfortable accepting help with? That's a big piece of this. And then who can you ask and be direct? Because people just don't know. It's one of those things of they're going to try with best intentions. And sometimes those best intentions are helpful. (laughs) You know, it's just a reality of life, right? And if you give them explicit directions of what they need, people want to help. That's the bottom line. People love you. They care about you. They want to be helpful. They just don't always know how to do it. So getting that early diagnosis means you can really think about that. You are going to want to consider professional care providers that come into the home, um, whether that's a home health aide, or you may want to think about things like adult day centers where someone, where your loved one spends some time during the day in a safe, supportive setting. So really thinking about some of those professional supports you may need. I recommend reaching out to places like your area agencies on aging. Now, not every state has those. So 211 can also be your best friend. Uh, They are experts in knowing what services exist in your community. Of course, I have to do a a shameless self-promotion of the Alzheimer's Association. We have a wealth of information. We are available 24-7 through our 1-800 number. You can call, the reality is dementia is not Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. So neither are we. And often for families, the only time you're going to get a chance to ask for help or to get information is in the evenings and the weekends when you might have additional support from others. So um, our 1-800 number is one 800 272-3900. If you're not someone who's comfortable making a phone call, I get it. I will self-disclose I'm a millennial. I'm going to go to the internet. www.alz.org. I will tell you professionals across the industry tell me all the time, I send everyone to your website (laughs) because it just has so much information that you never even have to pick up the phone and call us. You can just do all the data mining you want through our website. It is is really something fantastic. And uh, as a professional in the field, I'm constantly looking on it myself and I work in the field for the Alzheimer's Association, right? So um, there is a lot of information out there. The first place you need to start is your primary care physician. If you think there's something going on, start there and work out from that. But there is a lot going on in the community as far as resources go to support you in this journey. 
Well, Kenzie, thank you so much for sharing all those fabulous resources. And I admit the same thing. I love your website. The Alzheimer's.org is a is a valuable resource. So thank you so much for all those resources and also sharing your insight. This has just been a fabulous session and a fabulous episode to share with our listeners and also for helping so many navigate this journey that they're on. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, I really appreciate this is such an important topic and it impacts so many people. We just don't know how many people and we don't talk about it very often. So I really appreciate you welcoming me on to talk about something so near and dear to my heart. Thank you, Kinsey, for joining us today and helping so many navigate this journey. To view resources, show notes, and access more My Care Advisors episodes, visit mycareadvisors.com. You can also subscribe and listen to our podcast on your favorite app. I leave you with this quote from Maya Angelou. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Choose to be inspired to live the best life every day. Thank you for listening. We are grateful to be your guide.